So the family was gathered around the dinner table, and uh, scripture had been read while the kids were eating their food, and that scripture that was read mentioned the fear of God. And so one of the boys at the table said, Dad, what does it mean to fear God? And so the stupid, silly response of this pastor was to his son, well, son, fear doesn't really mean fear. So that terrible answer that I gave to my son several months ago at our dinner table prompted this sermon series. As I went in search for an answer to his question that was less confusing and more biblical. What do you fear? What a question. Who do you fear? Should you fear God? The fear of God is not a popular subject today. The fear of God is not a popular subject in churches. But the fear of God is a popular subject in the Bible. Job 28, 28, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 33, 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Psalm 111.10 and Proverbs 9.10 says that the same, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 23.17, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Ecclesiastes 12.13 The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Should you fear God? Yes. Yes, you and I should fear God. But do you fear God? Isaiah 8, 13, But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And 1 Peter 2, 17, Honor everyone. 
love the brotherhood, fear God. It seems to me that we are more comfortable talking about the attributes of God that inspire love and not fear. Let me tell you about the kindness of God. Let me tell you about the patience of God. Let me tell you about the compassion of God. All wonderful attributes of God that we should talk about, but not necessarily attributes of God that encourage people to fear Him. And ashamedly, I am not so quick to say, let me tell you about the wrath of God. Let me tell you about the judgment of God. Or let me tell you about the sentence of God. Admittedly, in my little mind, the love of God and the fear of God seems incompatible at times. How could you love God and fear God? How could you fear God and love God? I feel as if it should be one or the other. Fear chokes out true love and real love casts out fear. And I think I have a verse for that. I mean, if God is so kind and if God is so patient and if God is so compassionate and He is, then why should I or why would I ever fear Him? So Lord willing, in four weeks we will have a better understanding of the fear of the Lord. And if God is exceedingly merciful, maybe some of us will find a new fear in us. Or a fear restored in us of God. So if you'd like to know where we're headed in this four-part sermon series before Advent. Here is an overview. I know some of you don't like to get in the back seat of a car unless you know where it's going, so this is for you. This morning in part one, we will look at the terrifying fear of God. The terrifying fear of God. In part two, we will look at the saving fear of God. In part three, we will look at the sanctifying fear of God. And in our final week, Lord willing, we will look at the conquering fear of God. But before I preach this sermon this morning, we should pray together. Would you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, would you help us to understand what you mean by fearing you. 
Would you help our minds to grasp this truth? God, the emotion that we should feel toward you, would you go after that in our hearts, we pray? And God, if there are, and inevitably there are, things that we need to change, would you confront us and give us the grace to do it? We are, many of us, admittedly in uncomfortable waters when we talk about the fear of you. Oh God, help us not to be ashamed of anything that is in your word. Help us to love all truth, knowing that it is for your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let me begin by briefly describing to you what I see as the normative stages of God-fear in the Word and in the world. Here is the path of fear or the way of fear or the unfolding of fear in the life of a believer or the development of fear in a believer or the progress of fear in a believer. And I'm seeing this as a path that is laid out in Scripture and is experienced over and over again by people in the world. So these stages of God-fear, I'm going to give them to you chronologically because typically this is the order in which these fears of God are experienced and develop in a believer. So I'm going to give them to you chronologically in the order that believers typically experience these fears of God. But, but I'm not saying these different experiences of fear are bound to this order. If I could have that up for you to remember and see throughout the sermon and the sermon series, I would. So I just want you to lodge that in your mind. So stage one. Stage one. People do not fear God. Man by nature does not fear God. He is not interested in God. He is not concerned with God. If he hears there is a God, he denies that it is true or he accepts that it is true and hates God. He does all this because God or the idea of God is ultimately unsupportive of his self-centered life. So that is stage one. By nature, 
man does not fear God. He's not interested in God. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't want to hear about God. He denies God or he hates God. And this is all ultimately because God or the idea of God is unsupportive of his self-centered life. No thank you. And no fear. Stage two. By God's grace, some men perceive the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God and then fear the judgment and wrath of God. Some. Some men and women, by God's grace, perceive their own sinfulness and the holiness of God and then fear the judgment of God and the wrath of God. That is first fear. And it is terrifying fear. And it is good, right fear before God. We're going after that first fear this morning. Stage three. By God's grace, some men perceive the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God and then fear the judgment and wrath of God and then next perceive the great mercy of God, which causes fear that leads to repentance and faith. Oh God, have mercy on me. That's that fearful cry. Oh God, have mercy on me. Or, what must I do to be saved? This fear does not drive you away from God. This fear draws you to God. It is saving fear. And stage four, this is a Christian now. This is a Christian now. He is growing he is maturing, and he still fears God, and he still trembles before God, and this fear of God leads him to worship and awe and reverence and submission and seriousness about God. In fact, it is by this sanctifying fear of God that the Christian conquers every other fear. So the Christian who once did not fear God now fears nothing but God. That's the fear of God. 
And those are the stages of God-fear that are normative in the Word and in the world. That is how God-willing fear develops in the Christian. That is the pathway of the fear of God in a Christian. So let's start walking down that path together this morning. If any of us, if you were listening to that, if any of us are going to fear God, if any of us are going to tremble before God, then we must first perceive our sinfulness and God's holiness. If you don't get your sinfulness, or if you don't get God's holiness, you will never fear God. We have to understand who we are and who God is. And the Bible makes this very clear for us. God clearly wants you to know who you are, and He wants you to know who He is. So we've got to get that. How sinful am I, God? How holy are you, God? And there's a lot of different ways that we could go about and go after that fear this morning. Here's one way to go after that first fear. We could gather many of the verses that talk about God's holiness, and then we could gather up many of the verses that talk about man's sinfulness. So we could look at verses about God's holiness like Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is He. And we'd have other verses. And then we'd put beside those verses that tell us the truth about God. We'd gather up the verses that tell us the truth about you and me. And we could look at scriptures about man like Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or we could go places like Ecclesiastes 9.3. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Or Proverbs 29, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin. And we could give many other verses that talk about the sinfulness of man. And then with those verses about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the gulf that is between us, we could bring them together with a text like Job 37, 23 through 24, when Elihu said, The Almighty, we cannot find Him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, men fear Him. And we see the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God. And it may, by God's grace, make us fear Him.
and fear his judgment. So that's one way we could go after that first fear. There's another way. We could go to places in the Bible and we could watch people as they respond to God when they grasp their sinfulness and His holiness at the same time. And there's story after story in the Bible where you can watch men and women experience this fear when they get their sinfulness and God's holiness at the same time. We could go to the very first sinners. And we could see it in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. We could see their fear before God. We could read about Job and we could read about when he gets it in chapter 42. The trembling that he has before God. When he had heard things he said, but now I see them. He was saying, now I get it. Or we could go to Ezra chapter 9, where the high priest, because of sin, is shaking before God. He's sitting down, shaking before God. It says that he's appalled, and he begins to rip the hair out of his head and his beard. Terrified because of his sin before a holy God. Or we could go to Habakkuk and read what he said in chapter 3, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And there's the famous text in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah perceives the holiness of God and the sinfulness of himself, and he was afraid. We could do all that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the words of Jesus. Let's read the words of Jesus. It seems like a good place to go because we've been carefully studying the life of Jesus for two years now. So what did Jesus have to say here? We're talking about fear of God and reasons to fear God. And I think Jesus is a good place to go also because there seems to be some misconceptions about Jesus and this topic. Many seem to think that wrath and judgment and fear, oh, that's an Old Testament thing. That's an Old Testament thing. That's grumpy God. But then Jesus comes along and it's different. And Jesus is all unicorns and sprinkles. He's happy and there's nothing to be upset about or fearful about or sad about. And that's why Jesus tends to be more popular with people who don't really know the Bible. Much more popular than this Old Testament God who just seems angry all the time. I don't want to talk about that God. Let's talk about Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my friend. He's compassionate. He's tender. He's kind. He is. But what did Jesus have to say about this topic? 
So if you haven't already, would you please turn to me to the text that we read before the sermon, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Let me read the first part of verse 1 and then. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. Now let me set this up with the context before we hear exactly what Jesus had to say to them. This is a massive crowd that Jesus is speaking to in Luke 12. We're talking tens of thousands of people. This might have been the largest crowd that Jesus ever preached to. And what's he going to preach about? It's like this, if Jesus were here today and he got invited to preach at the largest church in America, what would he preach? Here he is before this massive crowd. And I'm guessing that if you asked pastors if they had this opportunity, pastors, preachers, if you had this opportunity to talk to tens of thousands of people, what would you preach? I suspect nine out of ten, I may even be one of them, would probably say something like the love of God. The love of God. So here's Jesus, probably the largest crowd he ever has before him. And what does he choose to talk about? Let's read. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. I'm going to read this one more time without a soundtrack. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What an opportunity Jesus had. What a crowd. And what did Jesus talk about? Judgment, fear, wrath, hell. 
Let me give you a few reasons to fear God from this text of Jesus. Remember, friends, by nature, we don't fear God the way we ought to. There is a massive gulf between us and God, and we try by nature to downplay or minimize our sinfulness. And we do that in lots of ways by denying that we're sinful or comparing ourselves to others who are more sinful as far as we're concerned. We downplay our sinfulness and we downplay God's righteousness and His holiness and His judgment. And we we try as hard as we can to close that terrifying gap between us and God. And God's words, the words of Jesus, will not let us close that gap even an inch. There are reasons here to fear God. Maybe you are here this morning and deep down you think you are a really good person. And you are planning to negotiate with God on that last day. Maybe you have a case that you plan to make before God. Oh God, may you be terrified this morning. Terrified. I pray you would now Perceive the gulf between you and God and experience good, healthy, first fear. So here we go, looking at Luke 12. Let's quickly answer three questions. Number one, who is Jesus talking to? Number two, what is Jesus telling them to do? And number three, why is he telling them to do it? Number one, who is Jesus talking to? Well, Jesus is not talking to unreligious people. Jesus is talking to a crowd that professes faith in God. So look around you. Because we are predominantly a crowd that professes faith in God. So what Jesus said, he said to a crowd like this. That for the most part, professed faith in God. Read their Bibles, read the Old Testament Memorized the scriptures, were good people, did good things, were in church every Saturday. That's who he's talking to. This enormous Jewish crowd that professes faith in God. So we can't hear the words of Jesus and say, I know that's what he'd preach if he was at that church in Texas. 
Be very careful with that. That's a little trick that will get pulled on you so that you sort of check out and think this doesn't apply to you. Hey, these are religious people, and at the heart of this crowd, they're named, are the pastors of the day, the Pharisees. So you got the pastors, and you got the congregation, and it's tens of thousands of predominantly people who say, we follow, we place our faith in the God of the Bible. So this is more like Jesus preaching in a sanctuary on Sunday than in a ball field on a Friday night. So who is Jesus speaking to? Primarily religious people. Number two. What is he telling them to do? Verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What is he telling them to do? What is the application of his teaching? Fear God. Fear God. Number three, why is he telling them to fear God? Or what is the reason they should fear God. Verse 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I don't know if it gets scarier than that. At least for me. So why is he telling them to fear God? What is the reason they should fear God? According to verse 2 and according to verse 3. God knows everything. And God will send those who do not fear him to hell. That's what Jesus just preached. Fear God. Fear God, he says, because God knows everything. There is nothing hidden from Him. And if you don't fear God, God will send you to hell. That's not a popular subject. 
but it is an inescapable biblical reality. Friends, listen. We do not tremble before God because he is mean. We tremble before God because we are mean. We do not fear God because he is unjust. We fear God because he is just. Nothing is covered up. Nothing is hidden. Do you have things covered up? Of course you do. Do you have things hidden? Of course you do. You have things you're embarrassed of? You have things you're ashamed of? course you do. And God knows every one of them. Things that you've done in secret, you think. Things that you've said in secret. God knows all of it. He knows every detail. He knows you to the very bottom. He knows what you said. He knows why you said it. He knows what you did. He knows why you did it. He knows you backwards and forwards. He knows every sin you've ever committed. He knows the sin you're going to commit this afternoon. He knows the sins you'll commit if you're alive in 10 years. He knows all of it. You may hide things from other people. Maybe things your family doesn't know. There may be things your closest friends don't know. There may be things your church doesn't know. Your pastors don't know. But God knows everything. And here's the point as he talks to this group of religious people. He knows who you really are. He knows who you really are. He knows whether you really fear God or don't. He knows whether you're really a Christian or not. And you may fool everybody, including yourself, but you will not fool God. That's his point to these professing people. Listen. Some of you are here right now and you think that you are believers and you are not. And this morning I am saying that to scare you. Some of you are here this morning and you think that you are believers and you are not. God looks down, of course, and he sees two groups of people, believers and unbelievers. And it's very clear to God. It's not always clear to us. We have like a subcategory. Believers, unbelievers, and the Puritans would say professors. There's those who really believe and there's those who... I don't believe, and then there's those who say, I believe, but they don't really believe. 
They're what Jesus calls in this text, like the Pharisees, they are hypocrites. There are sinners. We're all sinners. Me, you, we are all sinners. And then there are repentant sinners. That's a Christian. And then there are religious sinners. That is not a Christian. There's a distinction. Friends, religion will not save you. Going to church will not save you. Being a relatively good person will not save you. Calling yourself a Christian will not save you. Are you scared yet? The Word says, Christians, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. The Word says, make your calling and election sure. Do not take these things for granted. Do not make assumptions. You are a sinful man, a sinful woman, standing before a holy God who is full of justice and righteous wrath. If you are fearful before God now, He may be working in your heart. Oh, the one to be truly pitied is the one who even now feels no fear before God and shakes his fist at God and says silly things like, I'm the captain of my own soul. Do you fear God this morning? Charles Spurgeon, when talking about this first fear, this terrifying fear before a holy God, this fear that Jesus commanded of these people, he said this, this is the lowest grade of godly fear. Here all true piety takes its rise. By nature... The sinner does not dread the wrath of God. He thinks sin a little thing. He looks upon its pleasures and forgets its penalty. He dares the Almighty to the war and lifts his puny arm against the eternal. No sooner, however, is he awakened by God's Spirit than fear takes possession of his heart. The arrows of the Almighty drink up his spirit The thunders of the law roll in his ears. He feels his life to be uncertain and his body frail. He dreads death because he knows that death would be to him the prelude of destruction. He dreads life for life itself is intolerable when the wrath of God is poured out into his soul. And by God's grace, some even now will be awakened to perceive their own sinfulness and the holiness of God, and they will fear His righteous judgment and wrath. When we feel this fear, 
when we perceive our sinfulness and when we perceive God's holiness, our instinct is to run. Our instinct is to hide. Our instinct is to blame or to make excuse. It drives us away from God. Remember Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Adam and Eve, who had been in fellowship with God, been walking with God, communing with God, one thing happens, they sin. And when God comes back, they run, they hide, they blame, they make excuse. It's how we try to deal with what we know to be true about us and about God. I'm going to run from God. I'm never going anywhere near a church. I'm never going anywhere near religion. Or I'm just going to deny that it's true. I'm not even going to believe that there is a God. Or I'm going to hide in a church. I'm going to hide in a church and get lots of people saying good things about me and volunteering for lots of ministries and maybe I'll get baptized and get lots of pats on the back and I'll get confident and I'll hide there. Or I'm going to blame. It's not my fault that I'm sinful. It's not my fault I've done the things that I've done. I'm not going to take responsibility. Or I'm going to make excuses. Well, as Adam and Eve learned, there's nowhere to run. As Jesus made clear in this teaching, there is nowhere to hide. Friends, there is no one to blame. And you all, the word says, are without excuse. Fear God. So what should you do with that fear? What should you do with that knowledge of who God is and, and who you are? If your soul is shaking, if your soul is trembling, as it should, what should you do? What do you want your friends to do? What do you want your family to do? What do you want your kids to do? Well, listen, friends, there is good news for those hiding, for those who are running, for those who are blaming, for those who are making excuses. You've seen God's holiness. You've seen your own sinfulness. You need now to see God's mercy. You need to see his mercy. You've heard the warning of danger. Now you need to hear the way of escape. You've heard that you need to be saved. Now you understand what you need to be saved from. What do you need to be saved from? You need to be saved from God. Because he is a righteous, just judge.
and he will not let wickedness and sin go unpunished. And you and I are sinful. So this is very important. Jesus does not stop with fear God. Look down with me and listen to verses 8 and 9. To those who are terrified, he says, verses 8 and 9, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the way of escape is Jesus. He is the way of escape. This just and holy God is also merciful. And this just, holy, merciful God has made a way for sinners like you and me to be saved. And that way is Jesus. Your sin must be punished. Your sin must be punished. And your sin will either be punished in you, in hell, forever. Or your sin will be punished in Christ on the cross. Friends, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. You have no case before God. You have nothing in and of yourself to appeal to. You are without excuse. There's no one to blame. There is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. Your loving, perfect creator has made you to honor him and bring him glory, and you have not. And you have sinned against God, and you have sinned against people, and you have done it over and over and over and over. But there is a way for you to escape judgment. And that is to turn to Christ. That is to hear the gospel that Jesus came, lived, suffered, and died in the place of sinners so that sinners could be reconciled to God. You can trust Jesus this morning. You can appeal to Jesus this morning. 
you can drop to your knees before Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. His death can be your death. His life can be your life. But you have to give it all to him. You must turn. And in closing, it would look like this, as Psalm 40, verse 3 says. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. If you haven't put your trust in the Lord if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then we invite you to put your trust in Jesus right now. If you'd like to talk about this more, I'll be here at the front after service. Or you can ask maybe a member of this church or someone who looks like they belong here. <laughs> and I'm sure they'd be happy to talk with you. But I pray that you all would be terrified this morning as you consider yourself a sinner before a holy God and that you would only find relief in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we do not fear you the way we should. God, I confess that there are so many years that I now regret when before I knew you, I did not fear you. And I shook my finger in your face and was indifferent to you and dishonored you and disobeyed you and had no fear of you, God. And God, I also regret that even now as a believer, so often I don't fear you the way I should. I don't stand in awe before you the way I should. I'm not as serious about the things of the Lord as I should be. I don't take my sin as seriously as I should. Oh God, help me. Deliver me still from my sinful ways and make me more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray specifically for those who might be trembling before you this morning, truthfully and rightly. God, would you help them now to perceive your mercy? Help them to see the way of escape that it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And I pray that they would come to you now heavy and burdened and find eternal rest in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.